a warm welcome to all the devotees for uh, for sunday satsang with mr michael james at raman kendra uh, as we have all been attending his lectures over the last 3 years uh, this session is going to be on anmavidai as he has been addressing us through this current year uh we all know mr james so i will not take much time but uh, i see there are a few new visitors both on the youtube and in the in the zoom uh, session this evening so just a quick background mr michael james had started his spiritual journey at tiruvannamalai during his visit to india in 1976 where he stayed for over 20 years he had a long friendship and association with shri sadhu om and assisted him in translating guru vachaka kovai nanyar ulladu narpadu and other works of bhagwan into english mr james is now based in london where he re regularly discusses bhagwan's teachings with fellow devotees via email and zoom focusing primarily on explaining his original tamil writings Mr Michael James addresses devotees of Raman Kendra Delhi every second Sunday of the month this evening it's an aberration because of his changing schedules uh sir i would now request you to please take over thank you om namo bhagavate shri arunachala ramanaya namaskaram um Today I'm going to continue talking about verse three of Anma Bide, uh, but before I start, just if anyone has any questions, if you're attending the um, the, um, the the Zoom uh, meeting, you can uh, write your questions in the chat, and they'll be relayed to me. Um, and if you're if you're watching on youtube you can write in the live chat chat and they'll whatever questions you write will be relayed to me later on in the meeting um so last time i was talking about verse 3 of anmabide but just to to pick up from where i left off our first um read the meaning of this verse that is what bhagavan says in this verse is without knowing oneself if one knows whatever else so what or what what uh, what um well the word he uses is just what but it implies so what or what is the what the what the use of knowing um every, what anything else without knowing oneself and then he goes on to say if one has known oneself then what else exists to know that's a rhetorical question but implies that if we know ourselves there's nothing else for us to know and then he goes on to say when one knows in oneself that self which is the light without separation in separate sentient beings within oneself the shining of oneself alone will flash forth this is the shining forth of grace the annihilation of ego the blossoming of happiness therefore are extremely easy extremely easy is anmabide um so that's the meaning of the verse i was um i till now i've been explaining about these first two sentences um without knowing oneself if one knows what about uh um so what 
if one knows, if one has known oneself, then what exists to know? In order to explain this, I was discussing some verses of um, of Uludu Napadu, that is verses uh, 9, 10, 11, and 12 so far I've discussed. I've also discussed verse 27 of Upadesha India, because all these verses are relevant. So last time I was talking about in, in verse 12 of Uludu Napadu, um, Bhagavan says, but the uh, but um wait a second now just get the verse from um what he says in verse 12 is uh what is devoid of knowledge and ignorance is actually knowledge that which knows is not real knowledge since one shines without another for knowing or for causing to know oneself is knowledge one is not a void no so what he's saying here is but, but true knowledge or true um, real awareness is is devoid of knowledge and ignorance about anything other than oneself. That's the implication. And that which knows it, when he says that which knows is not real knowledge, he means that which knows in this context means ego, That which because ego is what knows anything other than itself. Um, and then he says, since um since it shines or since one shines uh without another for knowing or for causing to know what he means here is since our real nature uh shines without anything other than itself for it to know or for it to cause to know oneself uh, uh he says um tan arivahum uh, one self is knowledge. In other words, what, what we we alone have a real knowledge of a, of a real awareness. And then he says, Parandu, not um, not a void. <laughs> so he's saying that our real nature, both the void of knowledge and ignorance by anything other than oneself, it's not a void. <clears throat> so uh, I'd explained up to this far last time. So it's from this point that I'll continue. Um. I, having discussed verse 12 of Ulutanapri, I then begin to discuss, uh, uh, I now begin to discuss verse 13 of um, Ulutunapadu. Um To emphasize the fact that nothing other than oneself exists, so there's nothing of which we could ever be empty. That is, we can, uh, void means what is empty. We could be, we can be empty only if there's something of which we are, uh, but um, we, of which we are empty. But since nothing other than ourselves exists, there's nothing of which we could ever be empty. Um, th th that's the idea. So to emphasize this, he begins the next verse, namely verse 13 of Uludhunapadu, by saying, Jnanamam tane me. Oneself who is jnana alone is real. Jnana in this context means pure awareness. So, uh, uh, we ourselves are pure awareness, and that alone is what is real. That is the idea. What he says in this verse 13 is, um, tane me, oneself who is awareness alone is real. Uh, awareness that is manifold is ignorance. Um, <laughs> 
Yanamam Tane Andri Indru. Even ignorance, which is unreal, does not exist except as oneself, who is awareness. Uh, and then to illustrate this, he gives an analogy. Anigal tam palavam poi. All the many ornaments are unreal. Mayam ponne andri undo. Do they exist except as gold, which is real? Poha say. So what he means here by real or may is what actually exists. And what he means by unreal or poi is what does not actually exist, even if it seems to exist. And what actually exists is only our self as pure awareness, jnana, as he points out in the first sentence of this verse, jnana mam tane me, oneself who is jnana alone is real. Since we alone are what actually exists, nothing, no, knowing anything other than ourself is knowing what does not actually exist as if it exists, as if it does exist. So it is not real awareness or true knowledge, but only ignorance. As he implies in the second sentence of this verse, jnana vam jnanam ajnanamam. Jnana, meaning awareness, that is nana, manifold, diverse, various or different, is ajnana, is ignorance. Since we alone exist, there's nothing other than ourselves for us to know. So when we know what seems to be other, so what seem to be other things, it is our self alone that we are knowing as all those other things. In other words, we, the one awareness, seemingly become a subject, knowing our self as many objects. So this seeming division of our self into a subject and many diverse objects or phenomena is what Bhagavan describes here as nana vam yanam, awareness that is not that is nana, uh, manifold or diverse. To understand more clearly what he means by nana vam yanam, uh, awareness that is manifold, it is helpful to consider how he expressed it in the original version of this verse, which is now verse 12 of Upadesha Tanipakal. That is, when he first composed this verse, he composed it in this form, and later he... he in order to pack more ideas in, he modified it, and that is the modified version, which is part, which is verse thirteen of Uludnaptu. So, in the original version, what he said is, "Nyanam Andre Unme," awareness alone is real. Nana by Kang Kindra Nyanam Andri Indru Am Agnyanam Tan Nyanamam Nyanamam Tanne. Uh, Andri Indru. That means ignorance, which does not exist except as awareness that sees as many, itself does not exist except as oneself, who is awareness. So he, what he's saying here is Ajnana, ignorance, is, is only the awareness that sees as many. What's he mean by saying the awareness that sees as many? That is, that what actually exists is only one, namely ourself. When we see many things, we are seeing ourselves as those many things. So that's what he means by nana vai kankindra jnanam, uh, uh, jnana but sees as many. 
So this is what he implies when he puts it in a more uh, compact form, saying nana vam yanam. And that that nana vam yanam is agnana, that is ignorance. So knowing many things is ignorance. Because what we are knowing as many things is only the one thing, the one thing that alone actually exists, namely ourself. So we ourselves are seeing ourselves as all this multiplicity. That is ignorance. Um, but that ignorance does not exist except, I mean, what, what the underlying reality of that ignorance is the one real uh, uh, knowledge or awareness, um, which is ourself. Um, <clears throat> that is um, without uh, uh, real awareness, there could not be the false awareness that sees as many. So the reality of this false awareness that sees as many, namely ego, is the one real awareness, uh, which is the pure awareness I am, such it. Um, I mean, he gives the same analogy. Uh, that the second two lines of a verse, are, the last two lines of a verse are not any different. All the many ornaments are unreal. Do they exist except as gold, which is real, say? That is just like the... This and that, what he's emphasizing by this analogy is what is real is the substance. In the case of golden ornaments, gold is the substance, so that is real. The ornaments are unreal because the uh, the same piece of gold today it may be a bangle, tomorrow it may be uh, maybe made into a ring or a necklace or something else. So the forms are unreal. The substance is real. In the case of um, that that's the analogy, but in the case of what what it's analogous to, what is real is only the one pure awareness I am, which is what we actually are. When we see that one awareness as all this multiplicity, all this multiplicity is a, uh, uh, analogous to the ornaments. Um, the, the multiplicity is constantly changing. And it appears only when we rise as ego. When we when we cease rising as ego, like every day when we fall asleep, all the multiplicity disappears. So multiplicity exists only in the view of ourself as ego. But it's all just an appearance. It, none of it is real. What is real is only the fundamental awareness I am, which is what we actually are. Um what he implies by saying nana by kankindra jnanam andri indru am ajnanam uh, ajnana which does not exist as except as uh, jnana that sees as many in other words except as awareness that sees as many is that ajnana is nothing other than ego which is the awareness that sees the one as many that is since what actually exists is only one namely our self is pure awareness, knowing, seeing, or being aware of this one, as if it were many things, is ignorance. In other words, knowing our self, the one indivisible and immutable pure awareness, which alone is real, as a subject knowing diverse objects or phenomena, is the primal ignorance, mula avidya, which is the root of all other forms of ignorance. So this is what he implies in verse 13 of Uludunaptu by saying, nana bam jnanam ajnanamam, awareness that is um, 
manifold is ignorance. Um, therefore, awareness of multiplicity, which means awareness of anything other than ourself, is not real awareness, but just ignorance. Though such ignorance does not actually exist, it seems to exist. So what is it that seems to be this uh, ignorance? It cannot be anything other than ourself as pure awareness, because nothing else actually exists. As he implies in the third sentence of this verse, Poyam Agnanome, Nyanamam Tanne Andri Indru. Even ignorance, which is unreal, does not exist except as oneself, who is Jnana, who is pure awareness. Um, to explain this, he gives an analogy. Anigal tam palabum uh, tam anigal tam palabum poi. Mayam ponne andri undo. All the many ornaments are unreal. Do they exist except as gold, which is real? The reason he says that ornaments are unreal is because they have no existence of their own, since they borrow their semi-existence from the relatively more real existence of gold. In other words, their existence is entirely dependent on the existence of the gold of which they are made. Without the gold, they would not exist. As he implies rhetoric by, by asking rhetorically, mayam ponne andri undo, do they exist except as gold, which is real? This is the case with all forms, because no form can exist independent of the substance of which it is made. So all forms are unreal. Since all forms exist only in the view of ourselves as ego, they are all just mental fabrications. So the substance of which they are all made is mind. The mind consists of two elements, namely the subject and all objects. The subject is ego, the thought called I, whereas objects are all the other thoughts that constitute the mind. Since all other thoughts are known only by ego, they could not exist independent of ego. So what the mind essentially is, is only ignorant, is, is only ego, as Bhagavan points out in verse 18 of uh, Upadesha Undia. What he says in verse 18 of Upadesha Undia is, Enangale manam, thoughts alone are mind. Yavinam nanenum enname mulamam, of all, the thought called I alone is the root. Of all means, of all thoughts. Um, uh, um, Yanam manam enal. What is called mind is I. That is, um, when we talk about mind, we often use the term mind as a collective name for all thoughts. So the mind is nothing but thoughts. But of all the thoughts, the thought called I, namely ego, alone is the root. Why is that? Because all other thoughts exist only in the view of ego. So without ego, no other thought could exist. So ego, the thought called I, is the, is the root of all other thoughts. Therefore, what the mind essentially is, is just I, namely ego, or the thought called I. Um, therefore, since all forms are just thoughts, in the sense that they are just mental impressions, their substance is mind, and the substance of mind is ego. So ego is ultimately the one substance of which all forms are made. 
as Bhagavan implies when he says, Ahandeya Yabamam, ego itself is everything, in the third sentence of verse 26 of Uludunapadu. What he says in verse 26 of Uludunapadu is, Ahandeyundayin anetamundahum. If ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. Ahandeyindrail indru anetam. If ego does not exist, everything does not exist. Ahandeya yabamam. Ego itself is everything. Adalal yadu edu indru nadale ovadal yabamena all. Therefore, know that investigating what this is alone is giving up everything. Investigating what this is means investigating what ego is. Why is investigating what ego is giving up everything? Because the nature of ego, as he explained in the previous verse, verse 25 of Ulugnapdu, nature of ego is to rise, stand and flourish by attending to things other than itself, but to subside by attending to itself. Tedinal Otumpidicum, as he says there. So if we investigate ego, ego will subside and dissolve back into its source. And since everything else depends for its semi-existence upon the semi-existence of ourself as ego, when ego dissolves, everything else dissolves along with it. Therefore, investigating what this ego is, is giving up everything. Therefore, that what, what this implies is, that is what this song, Anma Bide, is all about, about the, is expressed in the Pallavi. Aye ati solopom, anma videi, aye ati solopom. Extremely easy, ah, extremely easy is apma vidya. Apma vidya means knowing oneself. But we, to us, it seems that knowing ourselves is very difficult because when we try to turn our attention within to investigate ourselves, our attention keeps on coming outwards. So it seems to us very difficult. But the reason it seems to be difficult is only because we are not yet willing to give up everything. And when we try to turn within, we, we ourselves choose to jump outwards and go after other things under the sway of our vasanas. Why do we, why do we allow ourselves to be swayed by our vasanas? Because we want to be swayed by our vasanas, because we don't want to, uh, we are not yet really willing to give up everything. Only when we are willing to give up everything will we be able to go sufficiently deep in this practice of self-investigation to eradicate ego. This is why Bhagavan often said, Bhakti is the mother of jnana. Without all-consuming love to know and to be what we actually are, we cannot know ourselves as we actually are. Um, so... Uh, in this verse, he says, ego itself is everything. But what is ego? As he says in the previous verse, verse 25 of Ulutnapdu, it is just Uruvatrapei, a formless demon, phantom, or evil spirit. It is formless because it has no form of its own, so it cannot come into existence without grasping a body in the sense of a form consisting of five sheaths, namely a physical body, life, mind, intellect, and will, as if it were itself. And it is a phantom because it has no substance of its own, because it could not seem to exist without borrowing its substance, namely its existence and its awareness, from the one real substance, vastu or poral, namely uh, pure 
existence awareness, satchit, which is ourself as we actually are. Since ego is what he refers to as nanabhamyanam, awareness that is manifold, in the second sentence of uh, in the second sentence of verse thirteen of Uludunaptu, it is also what he refers to as agnanam in the third sentence, poyam agnaname, nyanamam tande andri indru. Even ignorance, which is unreal, does not exist except as oneself, which is jnana. Therefore, what he implies in this sentence is that just as gold ornaments do not exist except as gold, their substance, ego, which is unreal, does not exist, uh, being just a ego, which is unreal, being just a false awareness that sees the one real substance as many names and forms, does not exist except as our real nature, its substance, which is the one real awareness called Satchit, which is what exists and shines as our fundamental awareness of our own existence, I am. <clears throat> um, then um, in verse 14 of Uludunapru, Bhagavan implied that when we as ego investigate our own reality, ego will thereby cease to exist, and all its knowledge of the semi-existence of anything else will cease to exist along with it, as he also implies in, this, in verse 26, which I just read. The real awareness that we actually are is one, infinite, and indivisible, so it alone is what actually exists. And hence, in its clear view, there is nothing other than itself for it to know. However, whenever we rise as ego, we seemingly limit ourselves as the form of a body, and hence numerous other things seem to exist. So the one real awareness now seems to have been divided as a subject, namely ego, and numerous objects, namely all other things. Ego, the subject or knower, is the first person, I, and all other things which are objects known by ego are second and third persons. Therefore, in the fifth paragraph of Nana, Bhagavan says, Tanme tondriya pirahe munile padake gul tondru kindrana. Only after the first person, namely ego, appears, do second and third persons appear. Um, without the first person, second and third persons do not exist. Oh, that, that's the second part. Tanne indri munile padake gal ira. Without the first person, second and third persons do not exist. Likewise, in verse 14 of Uludunapadu, he says, um, if the first person exists, second and third persons will exist. Here, first person means ego, second and third person means all objects or phenomena. So if the first person exists, second and third persons will exist. This is what similar to what he says in verse 26 of Uludunapadu. If ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. Um, but then he goes on to say, um, uh, um, Tanmayin unmaye tan aindu, Tanmay arin, Munile padekegal 
Mudi Mudi Butru Ondrai Olirum Tanmeye Tan Nilemei Tan. What that means is if one so if one self-investigating the reality of a first person, the first person ceases to exist. What that implies is if a first person ceases to exist by oneself investigating the reality of the first person, second and third persons are coming to an end. In other words, second and third persons will come to an end. And the nature that shines as one alone is oneself, the state of oneself. So what, what he, what he uh, implies here is if we investigate the reality of the first person, the first person is ego, the reality of the first person, ego is the false awareness, I am this person, I am this body. Um, the, the reality of ego is the fundamental awareness I am, which is our own, our very being, our own existence. So if, if we investigate this fundamental awareness I am, which is our very existence, um, the first uh, person will cease to exist, and when the first person ceases to exist, second and third persons will also uh, come to an end. Why? Because the first person is the subject. The second and third persons are objects that appear in the view of the subject. So without the subject, the objects cannot exist. So when the when ego ceases to exist, the, the, everything else will cease to exist along with it. Um, as he implies also in verse 26 of Rudinaptu, when he says... Um, uh, if oneself, if, if ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. So he, he's saying the same thing in slightly different words, using the term first person to refer to ego and second and third persons to refer to everything else. So when, when the first person ceases to exist, second and third persons will also cease to exist. And what will then remain shining that is our own real nature. That is what we actually are. That is our true state, the state of just being being the one reality that we actually are, without rising as ego to see all this uh, appearance of multiplicity. Um, may the first person, is ego, which is what is always aware of itself as I am this body. So it is a false awareness of ourself. Whereas Tanmayin Unmei, the reality of the first person, is the real awareness I am, bereft of all adjuncts such as this such as this body. This real awareness I am is what exists and shines as our own existence in all our three states, waking, dream, and sleep. But whereas it exists and shines alone in sleep, in waking and dream, it seems, in the view of ourself as ego, to be mixed and conflated with adjuncts as I am this body. However, even when we rise and stand as ego, the first person, and are consequently aware of ourselves as I am this body, we do not cease to be aware I am. So this fundamental and ever-existing awareness I am alone is the reality of ego, the unreal first person or subject. Since second and third persons seem to exist only in the view of ourselves as, as this first person, so long as we continue to attend to and know any second or third person, namely anything other than ourself, 
we are thereby nourishing and sustaining the seeming existence of ourself as ego. And consequently, the seeming existence of all other things, as Bhagavan implies in the first sentence of this verse, Tanmayundel munile padike gul tam ulavam. If the first person exists, second and third persons will exist. However, instead of attending to any second or third persons, if we attend only to our fundamental awareness, I am, which is the sole reality of the first person, this unreal first person named the ego will thereby cease to exist, and hence all second and third persons, namely everything other than ourself, will likewise cease to exist. And what will then remain shining as one, undivided by the appearance of these three persons, uh, namely the subject and all objects, is the real nature of ourself, as he explains in the second sentence of this verse, Tanmayin unmayei, if oneself, investigating the reality of a first person, the, <coughs> sorry, if oneself investigating the reality of a first person, the first person ceases to exist, second and third persons coming to an end, the nature that shines as one alone is oneself, the state of oneself. Therefore, as he implies, not only in this verse, but also in many other verses of Uludunapdu cited above, knowledge or awareness of the seeming existence of anything other than ourself appears only in the view of ourself as ego, the unreal first person, which is what is always aware of itself as I am this body. And we seem to be ego only when we are not aware of ourselves as we actually are, namely Satchit, the pure aware existence awareness I am, which is the reality of the unreal first person. So when we as ego investigate our own reality and thereby become aware of ourselves as we actually are, ego will thereby cease to exist and all its knowledge of the seeming existence of everything else will cease to exist along with it. Namoramana, sir. Sir, we have a question from Mr. Harshvardhan, which I have pasted on the chat window. If it is okay by you, I can um, I can read out the question now yes. or later, whichever um, way you may prefer. Oh, uh, let me see. Um, the question is, uh, I can read it out now. You may want to decide whether you want to respond to it immediately or later. Okay, okay, right. So the question from Mr. Harshvardhan is, and I quote, the sense of I am feels like narrowing down of attention on some internal energy sensation from chest and upwards. Is this energy sensation the ego or the one aware of it? Unquote. Any sensation is something known by us. It's an object. It's a second or third person. I am refers to our self alone, to our own existence. I am means I exist. So I I am is our very existence. I am is such it. So I am is not any, it, it is not an object. 
we can't point out anything and say, this is I am. That is, this is the nature, of, this is the fundamental mistake made by ego. But as ego, we identify this body, this person we seem to be, we identify this person as I. But we, that is conflate, that is confusing what is perceived with the perceiver. Because the body is something perceived by us. It's an object known by us. But we, the subject, take ourselves to be this object. So this is the very nature of ego, always confusing itself with objects, taking itself to be not all objects, with a certain set of objects. It takes it, I am this body, I am this, I'm not that. I'm not this microphone, I'm not this table, I'm not the, the lights, I'm not the book, I'm not anything. I'm only this. I'm limited within this form. So this is the nature of ego. I am is not limited in any way. It's not limited in time because there's not a moment where, where we are not aware of ourselves as I am, where we do not exist as I am. So it's not limited by time. It's not limited by state because there's no state in which we're not aware I am. We're aware I am now in the waking state. We're aware I am in dream and we're aware I am in sleep. Um, it's not limited in, it seems to be limited in space because of our identification with this body. But if we shed this identification, there's no one place that we can say, oh, this is where I am is. I am is, I am is the, is the, what in, in the final verse of this Anma Vidya, Bhagavan refers to as, um, uh, I can't remember the exact term he uses for it, but, 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 but the space in which the mind space exists, that is the whole physical space, the Buddha Kasa, exists where? Only in the mind space, because it only appears in the mind that there's a world. So the whole vast universe, all the what, which we are told uh, is billions of years old and... Um, as it's uh, billions of light years in dimension and everything, all this vast space exists where? It exists only in our mind. So but all the buddhakasa, the physical space, exists in the manakasa, the mind space. And where does the mind space exist? It exists in one real space, which is I am. So I am, we can't point out as being this or that or here or there. This, that, here, there, these are all objects known by us. So, when we are turning our attention within, we are turning our attention back to the, uh, the, to the fundamental reality, to the Adhara, to the Adhisthana. The, <clears throat> when you go to a cinema and you watch a film, it, where is the screen? Can you point out any particular place on, in the picture where the screen exists? No, it's it's all it's pervasive. It, it's omnipresent. I mean, the, the the picture is appearing on the screen. The screen isn't some small part of the uh, of the picture. Likewise, I am is not in any way limited. The limitation. Of, uh, there seems to be a limitation on I am only because we've risen as ego. So, we, when we 
I am cannot be pointed out as this or that. But that doesn't mean that it's not something known to us. The one thing we all know, there's not a moment when we do not know I am. If you ask a child, do you know, do you know that you exist? Yes, of course I am. Here I am. <laughs> of course, they take themselves to be a body, but they're still, they couldn't be aware of, but we couldn't be aware I am this body if we were not aware I am. So the awareness I am is a fundamental awareness. The false awareness I am this body is superimposed on that. So the first superimposition on the one real, one real awareness I am, the first superimposition is ego, the false awareness I am is body. And only in the view of ego, all other things uh, appear. So all the awareness of other things, is they, they are secondary superimpositions. So the first superimposition is ego, the first person. All the second and third persons, all other things are a secondary superimposition. But what are they superimposed on? The one real awareness I am. So that one real awareness I am, that alone is what is real. That alone is what we actually are. So that is what we need to hold on to. For many of us, when we, when we begin trying to investigate ourselves, because we are so used to attending to objects, when we are told to investigate I am, we start looking for an object. But it, obviously, I am can, can never be an object. I am is not even the subject. I am is the reality of the subject. The subject is ego. The, the adjunct conflated awareness, I am this body. The reality of ego, uh, what Bhagavan refers to in that verse 14 as tanmayin unmaye, uh, the reality of the first person, that is I am. That's a, a fundamental awareness. So I am. That is Satchit. That is the that is Brahman. So I mean that is God, Brahman, whatever you want to call it. But that is what is fundamental. Without I am, we couldn't be aware of ourselves as I am this person. And without being aware of ourselves as I am this person, we're never aware of anything else. So what is fundamental is I am. So we we need to um Think very deeply about what Bhagavan has taught us. Only if we understand what he's talking about clearly, will it be clear what we what it is we have to investigate. We're not investigating any object. We're not investigating any phenomenon. We're not investigating anything that appears or disappears. What is it that shines eternally, without a break, without ever undergoing any change? That is only this fundamental awareness I am. All change is for ego and mind and world, they are constantly changing, appearing and disappearing. They appear in waking and dream, they disappear in sleep. So they, 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 they lack any stability, they lack any reality. But for one thing that exists and shines always, without a break, without ever undergoing any change whatsoever, is this fundamental awareness I am. So that is what we need to investigate. That is what we need to hold on to. But as I um, say, to, to understand this, we need to think very deeply and carefully and clearly understand what Bhagavan is talking about. Then only we'll be able to investigate ourselves. If we don't understand, 
what it is Bhagavan is talking about, then we'll be, we'll be, whatever we'll be investigating will be something other than ourselves. Our aim is not to investigate anything other than ourselves, to investigate ourself alone. Ourself means this fundamental awareness I am, our own very being, our very existence. Yes. Uh, Namo, uh, Namo Ramana, sir. We have another question from right. Ashok Ji, uh, who's uh, who was with us on the on the Zoom channel. He's yes. posted a question. I uh, may I may I just quote it to you? Yeah, yes, right. certainly. Thank you. Question from Mr. V. Ashok. Quote. My question: I am is supposed to be distinct from body. If pain manifests in the body. Who experiences the pain? If I is only observing the pain, who experiences the pain? Also, pain is only for one particular body. Unquote. Right. Do we experience pain in sleep? No, we don't. What is the difference between sleep and waking, waking or dream. Sometimes we experience pain in dream also. So it's only in waking and dream that we can experience pain. The difference between waking, between sleep on the one hand and waking and dream on the other hand, though we are aware I am in all three states, only in waking and dream we're aware of ourselves as I am this body. And only when we're aware of ourselves as I am this body are we aware of anything other than ourselves. So pain is something experienced by ego. Ego is that which is aware of itself as I am this body. Whatever great pain we are in, we, we, there's a limit to how long we can experience pain because sooner or later, sleep is going to overcome us. When we subside in sleep, then we are, we, we, we are not aware of even the slightest pain. Why? Because the identification I am this body has been dropped. And what remains is the pure awareness I am. So what is it that is experiencing the pain? It's not the pure awareness I am. If it were the pure awareness I am, the pain could continue even in sleep. But it's not. Uh, it's only... The adjunct conflated awareness, I am this body, but experiences the pain. In other words, it's only our self as ego that experiences the pain. That's why Bhagavan says, only if the first person exists, will the second and third persons exist. The second and third person means all objects, all phenomena. So the, the pain is included among the second and third persons. The pain is, a, it's a second person. It's something that is immediately experienced by us. Um, uh, if I tell you I'm in pain, the pain I'm experiencing is for you a third person because it's not something you're directly experiencing. It's something that you're informed about. But the pain you experience is a second person. It's something you, it's an immediate part of your experience. But it's only when you rise as ego, the first person, but you experience that pain. So the experiencer of phenomena of any kind whatsoever, whether pain or pleasure or uh, I mean anything whatsoever, it's only ourself as ego. That's why most people believe, oh, in sleep I'm not aware of anything. Yes, it's true. In sleep we are not aware of anything. 
But though we are not aware of anything, we are aware. Because the fundamental awareness I am, which exists in sleep, is not an awareness of anything. That is, it's not, a, it's not, it's not knowing anything other than itself. It is just a pure awareness. Pure awareness means awareness that is just aware without being aware of anything. Awareness of something is, uh, is we can say, transitive awareness. It's, a, it's, it's awareness with an object. But the pure awareness is intransitive awareness, what Bhagavan in Tamil referred to as sutatraribu. Sutaribu means the transitive awareness, the awareness that is aware of objects. Sutatraribu means the awareness that is free of all objects. It's a pure awareness. So that is what we actually are. So, so long as we are attending to anything other than ourselves, we who are attending to those other things are ego. But if we withdraw our attention from other things by trying to focus it on ourselves, to the extent to which our attention is focused on ourself, ego subsides. And if we, uh, if we manage to focus our entire attention on ourself alone, ego will uh, cease to exist. It'll be, uh, and what will remain is just the pure awareness that we actually are. But when we talk like this, for many people, when we talk about pure awareness, it seems to be something very distant. Oh, I don't know what pure awareness is. I don't, don't experience pure awareness. All I experience is this and that. But there's never a moment when we're not experiencing I am. So pure awareness is nothing but that I am. It, it seems to be obscured because of the awareness of other things. So we need to go back to our own being, I am, and try to hold on to that. The more we turn within and focus our attention on I am, the clearer all this will become. Because I am is the original light, the light that illumines the mind, enabling the mind to know all other things. <clears throat> that is, we know objects in the world by physical light. But what is the light that knows that physical light? It's the mind. Only in the view of the mind, uh, light and darkness exist. Uh, darkness seems to uh, hide things. Uh, uh, light seems to reveal things. But all that is only in the view of our mind. So the mind is the light that illumines the physical light. But what is the light that illumines the mind? It is this fundamental awareness I am. Without this fundamental awareness I am, there would not be any awareness of anything. Of course, we can't say without the fundamental awareness I am, because that is the one reality, that can, that's the one thing that can never be absent. Awareness of other things comes and goes, along with ego. But the awareness I am shines eternally. Is that a helpful and clear answer to your question? Yes, thank you very much, uh, Michael. I, I have been following your uh, channels and this very, very uh, enlightening. And uh, but only thing is, I just wanted to ask whether uh, Bhagawan Ramana Maharshi also did he experience pain when he was also when he was uh, uh, in the in the last stages? Because he, I I, I have uh, read that it is almost like hundred chilies uh, being put in the wound. He had been told that, but because he also would have experienced that. 
Yes, so 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 he said when he was asked, he, he, when he was asked, is he not in pain? He said, yes, there is pain. It's like if you crush a hundred chilies and rub it in the wound, it's so so much pain is there. But that pain is not other than me. For him, because he was free of likes and dislikes, he had no whatever may be experienced. It doesn't affect him. That is. That is the more superficial answer. The deeper answer is the Bhagavan who was in pain was the person we take Bhagavan to be. That is, in our view, Bhagavan is a person who lived for 54 years in Tiruvannamalai and who, um, who was so kind and loving to all who came to him, who answered people's questions, who wrote... Uh, and all these works who answered people's questions who cut vegetables in the kitchen who uh, loved to do giri productioner um, and who uh, uh, eventually got cancer and uh, at the age of 70 um, uh, passed away of cancer this is Bhagavan as he appears to us but this is not Bhagavan as he actually is what Bhagavan actually is, as Bhagavan often used to say, jnana me jnani. Jnana alone is the jnani. So Bhagavan is actually the infinite space of pure awareness. So in Bhagavan's view, there is nothing other than himself. But we see him as a person. So we say, oh, this person is in pain. So when he says, yes, it's like a hundred chilies, he's saying, yes, so long as you take all this to be real, so long as you take me to be this body, yes, there is pain. Yes, and it's so intense, like a hundred chilies. But that pain is not other than me. That what he means is none of these things that we see as, we see this as one thing as painful, one thing as pleasurable, all these differences don't appear in his view because he sees everything as himself. That is what we see as all these many phenomena as pain and pleasure and uh, disease and health and birth and death and all these existence, non-existence, knowledge, ignorance, all these pairs of opposite, all these, we see all this multiplicity, but he sees only one. As he says, when, when one knows it, when, um, when, when by investigating the reality of the first person, the first person ceases to exist, Second and third persons will cease to exist, and what remains shiny as one, that is the real, what, that's our real state. He is the one. So in his view, there are no many. But we see him as one among the many. That is, that person who lived in Tiruvannamalai for 54 years and was so kind and gracious, that is Bhagavan. All the other billions of people in the world, they are not Bhagavan. He alone is Bhagavan. We... But he, that is, uh, in our view, because we take ourselves to be a body, we take him to be a body. But he is actually, he is the screen on which all this picture of, he is the awareness I am shining in the heart of all of us. As he said, when he was asked whether he's an incarnation of Subramania or this God or that God, what, is, what, was, what did he answer? Ariyati Tarajivara Dahavari Jagohail Arivai Rami Paramatuman Arunachala Ramanan. Arunachala Ramana is Paramatma, but blissfully exists as awareness 
in the cave of the heart lotus of all different jivas, beginning with Harry. So from the highest god to the smallest insect, he is the, that which is shiny as the awareness I am in all of them. So because we have a limited view of him, it seems to us, oh, Bhagavan suffered from cancer, he had so much pain, and when the operation was done, how painful it would have been. Yes, that all seems true from our point of view. But, but that is, that's only our ignorant point of view. Bhagavan is actually untouched by anything, just like as Bhagavan often used to say, if you go to a cinema and watch a film, you'll see raging forest fire, but the screen isn't burnt. You'll see a great flood, but the screen doesn't become wet. Bhagavan is that screen on which all these pictures appear. He is ever unaffected by anything, because he is the one in whose view only one exists. We see the one as many, and so we, uh, we have all these. I, uh, it seems to us Bhagavan was in pain. Uh, Namo Ramana, sir. Anurag, once again on the line. Uh, sir, I'm conscious of time. We have about 10 odd minutes left and we have two questions. I would leave it for you how you yeah, may yes, want to let's answer. Yes, let's answer the questions. I can continue with the explanation of this verse um, next time. Sure. So the first question is from Miss Maria Gabriela Bottiglieri. Uh, and her question is, I quote, if the eye subsides and there is no subject and object, what is left? It is emptiness or nothingness. What is on the other side? Unquote. The second question I can read out to you after this is from Mr. Louis Amaral. Yes. Should uh, I answer the first sure. question first? Sure. Sure. Um, when <clears throat> Bhagavan has explained it beautifully in um, in the verse 40 of Uludhunapduanabandam. This is actually a um, a translation of a verse from um, from uh, one of the minor Upanishads. Um, what he says in this last verse of Uludhunapduanabandam is, Akila Vedanta Siddhanta Sarate Aham uh, I, I will truly tell the essence of the, um, uh, of the established conclusion of all of Vedanta. What is that? Aham Settu, I dying, Aham Adu Ahi, sorry, Aham Adu Ahil. If if I dying, I become that. Arivuruvam ab aham, that I, which is awareness, which is a very, uh, which is the chitsvarupa, we can say, the, 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 the nature of awareness, adei mitchum ari, that alone will remain. So what he's saying here, what remains when I dies? I alone. This may seem to be a contradiction if we don't understand what it meant. The I that is to die is ego. Ego is the adjunct conflated. It, it, is I mixed and conflated with adjuncts. 
Actually, there are not two eyes. Ego and our real nature are not two different eyes. Just like the snake and the rope are not two different things. But there's only one thing there. What actually is there is only a rope, but it seems to be a snake. So when the snake dies, the rope alone remains. Nothing has actually changed. It's just that when we, when, we, when we don't look at it carefully enough, it seems to be a snake. If we look at it carefully enough, we say, oh, it's just a rope. So the rope alone remains. But nothing, no change has actually taken place. Exactly the same with I. Ego is, it is not other than a real I, but it seems to be something about. So the difference between ego, just like the difference between the snake and the rope, is not a difference in substance. They're the same thing. It's a difference in appearance. The snake seems to be something other than a rope. Likewise, the difference between ego and the one real eye, what we actually are, is just a difference in appearance. There is only one eye. When that one eye remains as it is, in its pure condition, it is, it is Brahman, it is Atma Swarupa, it is, the, it is what we actually are. When it's seemingly mixed and conflated with adjuncts, it seems to be ego. So when, when the eye that will die is only ego. The real eye can never die because it's eternal, it's immutable. So the, 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 what is called the death of ego is nothing but the dropping off of the adjuncts. When the adjuncts drop off, what remains is the one pure eye. So um, when when I dies, what remains is I alone. I as we actually, I as it actually is, rather than I as it seemed to be. That I is not emptiness. It is not nothingness. It is purna. It is the paripurna vastu. Um, uh, Purna means what is full. It, what is it full of? It's full of itself. It, that is, it's full of, of... It alone is real, so it's the fullness of reality. It, yes, it is devoid of everything unreal, but unreal things don't exist. So if you... To say that it's void is giving an... an undue reality to what doesn't actually exist. Because the only thing that is absent in that state of pure awareness is what never existed in the first place. Do we, do we say, um, when we, if we look at the snake carefully enough and see it's a rope, do we say, oh, it's a void, there's no snake there? No, there never was a snake there. The snake was just an imagination. There never was a snake there at all. So we can't say the, the rope without a snake, it's a void, it's emptiness. No, it's fullness. It's what it actually is. It's, it's just a rope, nothing but a rope. Likewise, what we actually are is the fullness of being, the totality of all that is. There's nothing other than ourself. So we can't call ourselves em emptiness. Emptiness assumes, you can say, if, if there are two things, you can say, but one thing doesn't contain the other thing, so it's empty. But if there's only one thing, how the term emptiness loses its meaning. Because you, empty means it's not containing something else. If you've got a glass of water, if you pour out the water, the glass is empty. 
so, so it's only because of the absence of the water that we call it empty. But in the case of pure awareness, we can't even say there's an absence because nothing other than pure awareness actually exists. Is that a clear answer to your question? That's why Bhagavan says in verse 12 of Uludunapdu, Parandru, it is not a void. And why he says in so many other places, it, it's, it's the fullness, it's Purna. Uh, so she has not yet responded. Okay. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming once she does, yes. uh, it would be in the affirmative and I shall let you know. Right. Uh, I think this can be the last question, sir, coming in from Mr. Louis Amaral. And uh, the question is, I quote, I would like if James can explain this Sri Raman Maharishi sentence. Whatever is destined not to happen will not happen, try as you may. Whatever is destined to happen will happen, do what you may to prevent it. This is certain. The best course, therefore, is to remain silent. Unquote. Unquote. Over to you, sir. Um, this is talking of, that that is this is talking about karma. Um, what whatever we experience in this life, experience means other things that are given to us to experience. Uh, this is people often say, "Oh, if that is the case, then I can't do anything to attain jnana." No, that is not because jnana is not the fruit of a karma. This is just talking about the fruit of karma. So everything that we experience, every every experience that is given to us, let's say, is determined by is the fruit of our past actions, and that is preordained. When this body comes into existence, what experiences it is to undergo are are predetermined. Um, so we cannot change that. So what is never to happen will not happen in spite of any amount of effort. I can want to become the president of the United States. I can make every effort to become the president of the United States. But if I'm not destined to become the president of the United States, it will not happen, however much I may try. Likewise, Whatever is to happen will not stop in spite of any amount of obstruction. If it's my destiny to be president of the United States, even if I don't want to be, even if I want to go and sit in a cave in the Himalayas and be a sadhu, if it's my destiny to be president of the United States, I'll be president of the United States. So what this is, and as Bhagavan says, Iduve Tinnam, this is certain. Therefore, the best, uh, the most important sentence of all is, Ahalin monamai irike nandru. Therefore, being silent is good. What does he mean by being silent? Does he mean that we should refrain from all action? We should sit like a stone? No, he doesn't. Because in the first sentence, the, the one sentence we didn't talk about was the first sentence. This is the note he wrote for his mother. The first sentence he says, Abharabha prarabdha prakaram adakanavan angandirandu artuvipan. That means, in accordance with the prarabdha of each one, he who is for that, being there, there, will cause to dance. What he means by that is, in accordance with our prarabdha, in accordance with what is destined to happen, uh, 
he who is for that means God or Guru. Uh, being there, there means being in each place, implying in the heart of each one of us will make us act. So, supposing, supposing it is my destiny to be a doctor. In order to become a doctor, I have to study. I have to do so many. I have to. Um, I have to study hard. I have to pass the exams and everything. Because it's my destiny to be a doctor, I will be made to do all those actions. So whatever actions are necessary for us to do, when he says in accordance with prarabdha, prarabdha prakaram, what he means by in accordance with. In order for the destiny to unfold, certain actions on our part are necessary. If, if, it's, your, if it's your destiny to uh, have food today, you have to eat that food. You, you, you can't, uh, without you, your, your, the effort you make to put the food in your mouth is, is an effort you're made to make by destiny because you're destined to experience that food. So it doesn't mean that we, when he says being silent is good, he doesn't mean that we should refrain from all action. However, that first sentence is often misunderstood by people because when he says in accordance with prarabdha, he who is for that will, being there, there will make us act. Many people say, oh, whatever I do, it's according to destiny. That is a wrong understanding. Because um, if everything we do is according to destiny, then the whole law of karma becomes meaningless. Because the, the law of karma, is there are three karmas, agamya, sanchitta, and prarabdha. Agamya are the actions we do under the sway of our will, our own will. In other words, the actions we do under the sway of our vasanas the actions we do by mind, speech, and body under the sway of our vasanas, those are agamya. Agamya bear fruit. The fruit of the agamya is stored in sanchitta. Sanchitta simply means a heap or pile. So that's the, the store of the fruits of our past karmas that we haven't yet experienced. And from that store, in each life, God selects which fruit we are to experience as prarabdha. So the, the prarabdha that we are now experiencing is the fruit of actions that we've done under the sway of our own vasanas in the past. So when Bhagavan says that God will make us act in accordance with prarabdha, he doesn't mean that all our actions are in accordance with prarabdha. Because if all our actions were in accordance with prarabdha, then the next two sentences would be meaningless. Because he says, what is never to happen will not happen in spite of any amount of effort. That implies we are, we are free to want things, but that is, destiny determines what we are to experience. Our will determines what we want to experience and what we try to experience. So it may be my destiny never to be president of the United States. That doesn't stop me wanting to be president of the United States. That doesn't stop me trying to be president of the United States. But it does stop me being president of the United States. So I can want to be president of the United States as much as I want. I can try for it as much as I want. But I cannot experience it because it's not going to happen. Likewise, when he says what is to, going to happen uh, will not stop in spite of any amount of obstacle. If it's my destiny to be 
to live in poverty all my life. I can try as much as I want to become rich. I can try every way by hook or crook or all sorts of dishonest means or honest means or whatever. I can try to become rich. However much I try, my destiny is to be poor. So I, whatever I, however much I want to be rich, however much I try to be rich, I am never going to be rich because it, my, it, it, it is, it is not destined to happen. So, the, we, when Bhagavan says being silent is good, what he means is not that we should, the body, speech, and mind should remain like a stone without doing any action. What he means is we should not do any action under the sway of our vasanas. How can we avoid acting under the sway of our vasanas? Only by subsiding, only by ceasing to rise as ego. As soon as we rise as ego, we, our attention goes outwards under the sway of our vasanas and all mental activity, activity of speech and activity of, um, of body, all ensue from our rising as ego. So what he means by monomai irike nandru, being silent is good, is not rising as ego. If we don't rise as ego, then whatever action the body, speech, and mind need to do in accordance with destiny will be made to do. But we are, we are not the doer of it because we are subsided. So being silent is good means don't rise as ego. How to avoid rising as ego? Only by holding on to our own being. To the extent to which we hold on to I am, our being, we thereby subside and remain as we actually are. When we remain as we actually are, we are refraining from rising as ego and thereby we are avoiding getting ourselves involved in any action. The body, speech, and mind will still act according to destiny, but we will not rise to say, I am doing this, I am thinking this, I am saying this, I am doing this. So the doership will go only to the extent to which we refrain from rising as ego. And we can refrain from rising as ego only by turning our attention within. So the implication when he said, Monomayirike Nandru, being silent is good, is we can be silent in the way he intended only by turning our attention within and holding on firmly to our being. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arana Chalaramanaya